Those of you that are here uh, every week, you know that uh, we've been in a series in John since uh, during Advent when I began that. And in uh, November, uh, when I was beginning to plan into this portion of the year, I had just written in Mission Sermon. And then uh, in God's providence, uh, as I put in sermon after sermon what passage I would do. I was just going to take a week out, do some kind of a mission sermon, but in his providential planning, which is way better than mine, uh, I could not have picked a better passage to focus us on global missions. So let's uh, look in John chapter 4, beginning with the 27th verse today. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, I firmly believe that you picked out this passage for us today. To me, there are obvious reasons, but there are probably millions of reasons. So thank you for your good and perfect providence. And will you today, Lord, will you teach us? Will you challenge our hearts Will you give us 
eyes to see the world like you saw it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you can, for a moment, put yourself in the place of being one of Jesus' disciples. You are traveling up north through your country because of rising opposition where you were before, and you go through the land where, uh, of Samaria where the Samaritans live, and you don't like it one bit. Some of you have maybe never been in Samaria before. All you know is that those people are unclean, and you want nothing to do with any of them because of that. It's noon, you're near the town of Sychar, everyone's tired, and you tell your rabbi, Jesus, you rest, get a drink at that well, we'll go get your food. Now that would have been a common thing for uh, disciples or followers of a rabbi to be the ones to go make those kinds of arrangements and to... Uh, bring food back. So it wasn't like Jesus demanded something. This would have been their custom. On the way back, uh, you're making small talk, and uh, uh, you're, you're passing some Samaritans, and, and like guys tend to do, ladies, I'm letting you in on this. Maybe you're kind of making some jokes about these people. Maybe you're talking about them or their ancestry, you know, like, like Georgia or Alabama jokes, those kinds of, <laughs> now you get it, right? Well, you, you approach the well where you left Jesus, and, and you're taken aback because to your surprise, Jesus is, is talking alone with a woman there at the well. Didn't he ever hear of the Billy Graham rule? You ought not to be doing that. And certainly not with someone of that reputation and certainly as a rabbi, not with a Samaritan woman. That could have totally destroyed his reputation. You kind of glance at the other disciples, and you're wondering in your mind what's going on, but nobody says anything. You find out, and what you didn't realize is that he had actually had a long conversation with her. He had actually offered her hope of eternal life. And you thought no Samaritan could ever have eternal life. 
Not only did she want that, but she wanted to go back and tell others about it. Tell the others that you had passed and made fun of and looked down upon. So here's what happened. In our passage, I want us to pick up with 31. We'll come back to the previous verses. We see in verse 31, meanwhile the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So the disciples think that uh, not only must he have gotten a drink from this woman, maybe she brought him some food, maybe somebody else brought him some food, because what else would they think when he said, I have uh, food, when they're talking about food, when they encouraged him to eat physical food? And what he, he, he begins his teaching time with them by, by showing them that there's something there is something that is even more important than eating. Now, you might say, well, that's easy to think about. There are many things more important, but think when you're hungry how focused sometimes we can be, at least I can be, if I'm really hungry. And Jesus says, look, Here's what it is. Here's what's even more important than food to me, and that is my calling, my calling, which is to seek and to save that which is lost and to do the will of my Father. And then it goes on, verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? So as he does so often, Jesus uses an illustration that, that they could relate to because that was evidently a proverb in that day, four months more, and, and there's a harvest. In fact, one of the disciples might have said it to another one as they were walking along and looked at a field, and I have no doubt that many times after that, when they saw fields, they remembered what he said here. Look, he said, I tell you, lift, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He, he's saying you've missed something. And what you've missed is, I, is why we're here in Samaria. Look at Sychar. Look at, look at this town. For them, it was a town they wanted to get through and get out of as quickly as they could and get through that whole territory. Look at the ones coming to Christ. Came across something interesting uh, this week uh, and 
I don't want you to do it now on your phones, but if you look up Samaritans in uh, Wikipedia, it's got a, a picture of uh, a, a number of Samaritans. By the way, there's only like 800 left in the world now. But, but it's got them at Mount Gerizim on, on uh, you know, their high holy day, and they are all in white robes. Could he have been saying, look at these Samaritans coming towards us. This is the field that's white for harvest. These that you despised. These that you wanted to get away from. This is our field. Verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and uh, reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps, another proverb. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. So let's analyze what, what he's saying here. Uh, if, if they, if the disciples are the ones reaping, who are the sowers? Well, let's start with the most recent. John the Baptist. His disciples were sowers because they were sowing seeds that would be reaped by the disciples. Work your way backwards, and, and you, you look at the prophets. Those were the sowers. You work your way back. Look at the priest. Look at, look at Moses. In fact, look at anyone in the Old Testament that is pointing forward to the Messiah. Those are the sowers, and they were going to begin to reap the harvest. One sows and others reap. He's showing them, look, this is how the kingdom works. There's always going to be those that sow, and there's always going to be those that reap. But we have to have both of them. Now, now think about it in terms of our, our incentive, because this is another place. You know, the kingdom is so radically different from the way we tend to think. The only way we can grasp the kingdom is supernaturally and, and as, as it's revealed in the Scripture, how God works, because he works in ways that aren't our ways. And so we need, to, we need to grasp how the kingdom works here. Imagine this. Um, when you uh, plant a garden, and of course this weather some of you are thinking, I need to get out there and plant. And, of course, that would be a big mistake because we'll probably have snow in March. But it makes you start thinking about gardening and so on. Well, think about this. Why do we, why do we like to do that? Well, typically, if you're doing a vegetable garden or any, any kind of uh, food, it's because you're looking forward to, you know, what it has on the package. You know, the ripe fruit or 
vegetable that you're going to reap, you're going to pick, and you're going to enjoy eating that. That's why you go through the the sowing part. But imagine this. How even if you're an avid gardener, how hard it would be to to, uh, uh, work up in your mind the desire to sow a garden if you weren't going to be there when the vegetables ripened. What if you were moving away? It would be, it'd be hard for, for you to say, I'm going to go to all that work and then somebody else is going to reap the harvest. But that is how the kingdom works. And the beauty of it is it works perfectly. Some are to sow and some will reap but they will rejoice together. That's what it says. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. And that should be our incentive. I may just be a sower, sowing seeds, but I will one day rejoice with those who reap the harvest. Now let's back up. Uh, You see in terms of a, a, a personal witness. Look in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. And we went into uh, all that last week about how serious of an offense it would be to speak to uh, a Samaritan woman publicly. That's why they marveled. They stood in amazement. Let's move on. But no one said... Uh, What do you seek, or uh, why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into town, and said to the people, we'll see what she said in a minute. Uh, But here's what I want you to notice. When your whole task was to go and get water, you don't just leave your water jar behind unless there's something way more important. And that's what happened here. So Jesus says, doing the Father's will and accomplishing what he wants me to do is for me more important than eating. And what the woman basically is saying, telling others about what just happened to me is even more important than getting a physical drink. So she leaves her, uh, her uh, water jugs behind and goes back. And this is what she says. Verse 29, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, she got real results from this statement. I'm not sure if the results are more from the first part of the statement or the second part of the statement. The second part being, uh, can this be the Christ? Remember, this was a woman with a, a bad reputation. Why would they even listen to her? But she did say, 
you ought to come here. Uh, this guy, he's telling me, he, he's talking about everything I ever did. So I think suddenly the men in the town were pretty interested. And suddenly the women in the town were pretty interested. He's telling you everything you ever did? Really? And so they went out. Could this be the Christ? Why would they believe her? Enough to, to check it out. It doesn't matter. For whatever reason. They heard that from her, and they went to check it out. Verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. There's that picture I can envision of uh, all these people in, in white robes coming toward him. It, it sounds like there were, there were a number. Many Samaritans, verse 39, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. This is a strange harvest. It's strange because not one of the disciples would have predicted this. Not one of the disciples would have thought, well, we're going to go to Samaria and we're going to start a movement for Christ. Not one of them. It was, let's get through this place. And yet, for Jesus... It was different. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. Might have been an initial reason. For we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. There's only one way to explain this. And that's what we talked about in John chapter 3. The only way to explain uh, her conversion and the conversion of the Samaritans is that God gave them new hearts. And when he gave them a new heart, then, then out of curiosity or whatever, they went to see this one that they later professed is the Savior of the world. And so it was all on God. I want us to talk about some applications here from this passage. The first is in terms of personal witness, and we started this application uh, last week. And that is, what are those human barriers that are keeping us from having a personal witness? Those barriers, gender, racial, and cultural, should not prevent our witness. Now, I mentioned earlier the the Billy Graham rule about, uh, you know, not being alone with a, a, a woman other than your wife, that's a good rule to follow. But remember, this was Jesus, and he was in a very public place as well. 
The disciples saw Samaria as a place to pass through. Jesus came to Samaria to meet this woman and to meet all these other Samaritans that would, would come to him. Strategically, going into a new area, you want to plant a church. Who would do that? Who would start with a woman with a bad reputation that was shunned by the rest of the community? Who would start there? Jesus. That's who. How radically different is the kingdom of God. And in terms of personal witness, we should pray for divine appointments and ask God to help us recognize when he gives us divine appointments. Oh, I can think of so many times where I would uh, look back at an encounter with somebody and realize that God had given me an opportunity and, and I had just missed it. Totally went by me. Now, you can't just get stuck there when you miss those. But you can learn. And you can ask him to give you everyday eyes that see the opportunities that he gives us. In terms of the human barriers, gender, racial, and cultural. This morning during Sunday school, Luda, and I didn't ask her if I could use this as an illustration, but she, she talked about one of the opportunities God has given to her, and that is uh, on, on the internet to, to teach uh, language, English, I presume, and most of her students are Russians. The enemy. From the country that attacked her country, Ukraine. And yet, God has given her the opportunity to talk to them about His love. But we've got to have eyes to see. And so, we must pray for that. We need to understand as well from this passage that no one is beyond the reach of the Messiah. We're so encouraged uh, as a pastoral staff uh, as we see many who uh, will put down either someone's name or uh, uh, who they are to them and that they need Christ. And we, we pray with you for those. But absolutely, don't give up. If, if God can pluck a Samaritan woman who uh, only uh, moments before meeting Jesus had no hope or thought of salvation, really, if he can pluck her from being lost to being eternally in heaven with Christ? Don't give up for those that God has put on your heart. And know that our job is to sow. 
If you, if you have the gift of evangelism, people that study that say maybe one out of ten have the gift of evangelism. And I've been around guys. I, I, that's not my primary gift. But I've been around people that it seems like every time they turn around, they're leading somebody to Christ. And, you know, it's easy to look at that and, and say, man, what am I doing wrong? That's not the point. We are to sow, and we are to continue sowing. And if you do that on occasion, you will enjoy reaping, even if it's not your primary gift. And then that's the personal witness. Secondly is a partnering witness. Let me tell you another way we sow. We sow when we partner with our missionaries who are sowing and some of them reaping wonderful harvests. We partner when we pray for them. We partner when we go on short-term trips and go and encourage them. You know, I love the idea of focus areas and and what a great illustration this is. Uh, uh, You know, these folks have been in our home and I've been in their homes. Isn't that cool? To have relationship with those on the field. And we partner when we give as well. Our method is faith mission giving. All of us aren't called to go. But all of us are called to pray and to partner. And I am trusting that he will lead everyone in this room in terms of how he's calling you beyond praying. Your role as a sower or reaper If you're a sower, your job is to be a witness. Not go out witnessing, it's to be a witness wherever you go. If you're a reaper, your job is to lead people to Christ. But when you reap, it's not to take credit for that. This is what verse 38 says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. And then, don't forget this, verse 36. So that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. That happened this week, on Wednesday. That was the day Billy Graham went to be with the Lord. Billy Graham was a reaper He often referred to his crusades as reaping events. He understood that no decision for Christ was typically made without one or usually many sowers that had sown seed. And while many made their outward decision 
under his ministry, millions under his ministry, he understood about what was going to take place on Wednesday when he went to be with the Lord. Because what took place was all of those that sowed were rejoicing with him, with the one that reaped. The sower and the reaper will rejoice together. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for, for Billy Graham, who uh, was hero to many of us. And yet, you make it abundantly clear that he's not glorified in that that the joy is when the sower and the reaper rejoice together. That's your way. Thank you for whatever role you have called us to. Thank you for calling us to partner with those who are on front lines in other parts of the world. But Lord, we're on the front lines right here as we cross the street and and cross the country. And so, Lord, will you be our encouragement to continue on faithfully sowing that the sower and the reaper might rejoice together.